0: Well, good morning, church. It's always a joy when I uh, get the opportunity to share God's word with you, and this morning is no different. See, I get the, the great task to share with you how Jesus changes everything, that following after Jesus changes your life forever. And if those words fall on you like a, yeah, I know that, or yeah, I've heard that before, and... Yeah, I've read that devotional. I pray that it would warm inside of you to realize that the moment that Jesus changed your life, you are never the same again. So we're continuing in our series in Mark, and it's called Just Jesus, but I like the tagline of the series better than the title. It's all we need for all we face, and this is a quick tagline. You can see the graphic, but I hope that it grows into a battle cry for our church. Because if you're like me, it's so easy to get consumed with newsreels and information, and and you start to become overwhelmed, and you start to think, well, is this virus finally going to affect my job? Is this political situation going to change my whole life? But you can pause and you can think that, no, Jesus is all I need for all I face. And I pray that God continues to grow us in our faith in this season where it's a reality to us. It's not just a cool graphic online, but it's, it's real for us. We don't just say things to say things. They have meaning. And so this passage today is all about following just Jesus. See, this world demands from us our heart and our mind and our devotion for so much. It could be your career. It could be your hobbies. It could be your social media feeds or your passions. And some of these things can be really good, but they make terrible gods. And they make terrible things to follow your whole life after. And if we aren't careful, they begin to creep and expand into all areas of our life until we find ourselves just increasingly anxious and worried because we're now following after the fickle things of the world instead of Jesus. And so in a world that is seemingly calling for us to follow after them, we have to fight to follow Jesus. We have to fight to follow just Jesus because he is truly all we need for all we face and so this morning we will be in mark chapter 1 verse 14 if you have your bibles you can start turning over there we'll be covering verses 14 through 20 this morning but before we jump into the text i just want to spend uh, one more time in prayer uh, before we read god's perfect word Lord, we ask that as we come to your word that you would open our eyes, that you would give us fresh insight on your word, that these would not just be words on a page that we've heard before or Sunday school stories that we've heard before, but they would come to life for us. For your word is living, and this word is tears through our hearts and changes us and makes us new and after we encounter you in your word we are never the same again and so Jesus we ask that today would be a day that we look back on and we say I was never the same again that your word has pricked us to a point where we say I can't just go back to normal God I just want to follow you I want to be devoted to you I want more of you and I need more of you and I ask you Jesus to help me to grow my desire for you Amen. So Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on a little further he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, with the hired servants, and followed him. So this passage kicks off with a, a sad truth. That the forerunner John the Baptist has been arrested. We'll learn about this more in Mark chapter six when we get there in our series, which might be a while. So I'll give you a little, uh, little uh, spoiler alert. Um, he was arrested by Herod because John the Baptist told Herod it was wrong that Herod took his brother's wife, and eventually it would lead to John the Baptist being put to death. And it's a lot to process in a quick flyover. Like, hey, do you guys remember the guy who started this uh, in verse one and And now he's arrested and and he's going to be put to death. And then we jump right in. I think with Mark, it's a beautiful book, but as you start to unpack, there's so much there to see. But Jesus is taking the baton from the forerunner, John the Baptist, and he begins his ministry, the ministry that will change the world and ultimately is passed on all the way down to us. And this is the very thing that Chris had talked about two weeks ago with John the Baptist, is that John wanted to point people to Jesus and say, Jesus is greater than I am. See, if you're amazed by me and all the baptisms and all the people who are responding to me, just wait until you see Jesus and he will be much greater than anything that I've ever done. And his ministry will surpass mine and I will become a few sentences on a few pages for the rest of the time. See, this passage not only shows us who Jesus is, but it shows us what he has come to do. And I think The big thing to unpack today is what do we learn about Jesus when we follow after just Jesus? See, I think the first thing we learn in the text is that Jesus is the king. Verse 15 says, and he's saying, the king, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He begins his ministry with this declaration because Jesus is the long awaited Messiah. Messiah. And for us, we, we use this term a lot, it's in our songs, but we don't really realize the impact of it. See, I think it was Pat a, a few weeks ago had shared about our attention span, and we're so prone to move on to the next thing. If we don't get it in a 10-second clip, or a 30-second clip, or a two-minute clip, we kind of move on from our interest. But this is the one who has chosen from the foundation of the world to come and save us. Is that this is the plan all along, in the long-awaited Messiah, the Old Testament, pointed to him, showed us our need for a Savior, and it was a period of 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence from God, no more prophets coming out, and in this 400 years, the Jewish people remained faithful to pass it on from generation to generation to generation, declaring one day it's all going to be better, one day the captivities are going to stop, one day we're no longer going to be crushed by people, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to make everything better for us and generation after generation until this very moment that is now is that after 400 years of silence there's the most prominent king of all time the one who is going to change everything for us and his kingdom is going to last forever and we will never be put down again but there was something that they missed is that over time there's a lot of different theories that came up of what this king will do What does it mean when the kingdom of God is at hand? Many people thought this was gonna be God coming in a visible and powerful way and the days of David were going to come back and the nations would fear them. But instead, Jesus is saying something much differently. Jesus is declaring that the time has come and the waiting is over and my kingdom is here and this kingdom is forever. It's not a, a earthly kingdom. And so the Greek word here for time is kairos, which there's usually two rooms, two words that are used, kairos or chronos. Kronos would be the passing of time. The right amount of time has passed. But now it's saying, no, this is the appointed time. This is the exact right time that God has chosen for me to come, and the time is now, and the kingdom has come. Is that Jesus is declaring, your long-awaited Savior King is here, the kingdom is at hand. And now that the king is here, there is still going to be confusion throughout Jesus' ministry. There's still going to be people who believe that this man has come to overthrow and rise to power and to take over the Roman Empire, but this is a different kind of kingdom. It's not of this world. It doesn't look like any kingdom that we have here on this earth. It does not have beauty of rubies and diamonds. It's not large castles with moats. It's not violent armies taking the world by storm. It is a spiritual kingdom present kingdom that cannot be defeated and cannot be overthrown and it lives inside men and women who have been changed by Jesus Christ. And I think that's the amazing thing about this kingdom is is that it can't be stomped out. You can kill one Christian and there's a thousand more. The kingdom cannot be crushed. And this will repeat and expand for 2000 years in this kingdom ushered in by Jesus in this moment will eventually be made visible when Jesus tears through the heavens and comes back for us. And this kingdom would be established here on earth forever in the new heavens and the new earth. But who is this kingdom for? That's the question, right? It is for anyone. Anyone who will repent of their sins and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it does not matter your bloodline, it does not matter your money, it does not matter your background. If you trust in Jesus and repent of your sins, you are a child in the kingdom of God and you can never be removed. See, this is great news, because it's not just for the people who have the good families. It's not just for the people who have it all together and who have great histories and have never made a mistake. It is for anybody who will believe in the good news that Jesus Christ died for their sins. And so throughout most of high school, and I think most of us all struggled with this, right? We wanted to belong. So I'll just kind of make myself into somebody who belongs. And I remember I would find this through humor. I'd find it through personality. I'd find it through sports that if I could be funny, if I could be good at sports, then people would know me. But I'd always remember at night I would just feel like, man, if people really knew me, they wouldn't really want to be my friend. And I think that's something we all struggle with at times, right? Because if my friends really knew who I was, if my family really knew who I was, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. But that's why this is so amazing, is that it was when I came to faith in Jesus that for the first time, I felt like I belonged. For the first time, I realized that there was a place for me. For the first time, there was no mask that I had to put on. There was no story that I had to tell. There was no entertaining that I had to do. Jesus knew exactly how messed up I was when he opened the door of the kingdom for me to come in. It was in that reality that when I knew that Jesus knew all of my sin, that I would commit, and he went to the cross for it and paid for it. It was in that moment when he extended forgiveness to me, and I repented and trusted in him, that I was invited into the kingdom as a messed up, insecure young man, and was sat at the table with a bunch of messed up, insecure young men and women. And we all looked at each other with our masks off, and we realized... (laughs) It's kind of funny, I didn't think about that with all the masks of the virus, but... Someday we'll see each other with masks off again. But in a real way for us, that's what makes our community unique, right? We all have backstories. We all have millions of stories of brokenness and messed upness and dysfunctional family and fill in the blank of whatever your unique brokenness is. But we all share the same ending. Why are you here? Well, because of Jesus. And why are you here? Well, because of Jesus. It's not because I was on some special list Well, I was, but I wasn't unique. I was special because God chose me. And so how do we apply a verse like this? How do we apply a verse where we recognize now that the kingdom is where we belong and it's because this is where we are fully known and fully loved, it's we repent and we believe in the gospel. Jesus tells us, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. See, we enter the kingdom when we repent and believe the gospel for the first time and we remember how we entered the kingdom when we repent of continued sin. We remember that it was not something that we did or that now that we've been a Christian for five years and we've read the Bible a few times and we've started volunteering at church that, well, now I can kind of make it. No, that's not the point. We continue to sin, we repent, we believe the gospel because too often we walk around with this low-grade guilt that we don't belong in the kingdom anymore. That it's because we've taken our eyes off the truth, we've forgotten the fact that we did nothing to get in, and we really do nothing to stay in. Jesus is the one who holds us. There's this weird shift that takes place in the Christian life where we go from throwing ourselves on the ground and saying, Jesus, I can't do it without you. Make me clean, Jesus, because I can't fight this sin without you. I can't, I can't come into your kingdom without you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins and help me believe. And then we start saying this lie. You must be tired of me, Jesus. I I keep messing up. I messed up again. I'll try harder. I'll do more. I'll be better. Don't give up on me yet. And when we fall into this way of thinking, we must repent and believe the gospel. We must repent of trying to be our savior and repent and believe the truth we once believed that Jesus is our savior. He is the king. He is the one who brings us into the kingdom and keeps us into the kingdom. He knew how much you and I were going to mess up before he saved us. He went to the cross knowing that every single sin that you have committed and every single sin that you will commit, and he still went to the cross bearing all of the wrath of your sin. And he loves you. And so when we repent and trust in Jesus, we are reminded of the fact that Jesus brings us into the kingdom not because of anything we've done, but because of everything he's done. And we cannot forget That he is the savior and it's never the work of our hands that make us clean but the second thing we see in this passage comes in verse 17 where we learn that Jesus is the teacher see in verse 17 it says "And Jesus said to them follow me and I will make you fishers of men Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee and he looks out and he sees Simon who is Peter and Andrew and they're there casting their nets into the water like they've probably done every single day for most of their life and Jesus calls out to them and he tells them to follow me see this is a call to learn from Jesus he's telling them to stop what you're doing and follow after me learn from me see we live in a technologically advanced time where most education can take place on a computer or a smartphone You can get a degree online, you can get another degree online, you can get an advanced degree, you can get whatever it is. Do the Google search, you'll find it. Right? We have this vast library of information on Google or YouTube and we can keep going back to, man, I can do this all on my own. I can just get the information on my own. I don't need to go to class, I don't need a professor. All I need is a textbook and a website and I can just do this all on my own. So it's really hard for us to really wrap our mind around the idea of learning from following someone. We don't really have a culture of apprenticeship or following after people anymore, as it used to be that, hey, if you want to be a doctor, you go and follow the doctor and you learn from the doctor, and there's definitely some great advances that we have medical school and things like that now. But every year that passes, I'm learning more and more that learning comes through experience, and usually by mentoring, being mentored by someone who is much more experienced than me. Is that you can read a book or watch a YouTube video on fixing your car, uh, but it's totally different once you get your car taken apart and you look at your car and you go, I've made a big mistake. I do not <laughs> know what I'm gonna do. So then you call your friend who's a mechanic. But I think the big difference is, is that when you sit down and fix your car with an experienced mechanic, he can or she can hear things that are different. Is that we've all had that moment where you drive your car to a shop and you say, yeah, it just keeps making this weird rattling noise. It's like, and the guy like looks at you like, well, where's it coming from? And you're like, I don't know. Like, I think it's the rear of the car or the front of the car and just goes. And they're like, okay, I'll listen to it. And so they go, they turn on your car and then right away, they're like, oh, it's your wheel bearing. Your wheel bearing's going out and we'll get that taken care of. See, the other thing is you can read a book, right? And make a, what's the most persuasive legal defense argument? Or you can sit back and watch somebody who's been a lawyer for 30 years and watch the room fall completely silent when they go after the, the prosecuting attorney. Everybody becomes so silent. Is that we should still read books, we should still gain skills, but there's a difference when you can watch a master in their trade work. When you can watch them uh, do the things and learn from them. See, I'm coming to the end of uh, a journey of home renovation. It's something that I enjoy like 90% of the time. Uh, And most of the work I've been able to do through just picking up different skills. But I've had people who are super skilled in their trade come out and do work for me. And it's 10 times faster than I could ever do it. And you just sit back and you watch them and you'd be like, man, I'd have been here for 25 hours. I would have probably broken some stuff and things would not have gone well. But I could watch them and I could learn from them and I could walk away and realize that these guys are masters of their trade. And Jesus is offering this to these men. Jesus is the master. He's the creator. He's the one who created everything. And he's saying, follow after me. And they didn't know it then, but they're about to embark on a three-year discipleship journey where they will watch and learn from God himself and how to be followers of God and disciple-makers of God. And they will see people raised from the dead, people healed, mockers silenced, and so much more in Jesus would teach them through his preaching and his teaching, but that he would teach them through his actions. He would teach them by his life and how he ministered to others. See, if you've ever gone on a camping trip for a week with somebody, you, you start to learn things about each other as, as the weather gets worse and as things don't work out and as tents are torn. And so they get to live every single day with Jesus and see how he responds to all of the different changes that come forward. And so as we unpack this, we will see as this continues through the book of Mark, but it's important to know that in their following of Jesus, they weren't master students. These weren't like the Harvard elite people. He didn't go to some massive school of ministry where it's the guy who won the preaching award in his seminary, and he picks him up, and he says, well, follow after me, and I'll get you a big church. He's saying, no. He's like, I found this dude on a boat. (laughs) I called him. I said, hey, you're coming with me. Follow me. I'm going to teach you and you're going to learn from me. And so as time unpacks, you will see that these are broken men, just like you and me, and they don't understand the teaching of Jesus over time. There's times where they, they just miss the point. Like in Mark 10, verse 35 through 41, it says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the people who he calls at the end of this passage, he comes, they came to him and they said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, Well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. This comes directly after Jesus is telling them, I'm going to be killed for you and to pay for the sins of the world. And then they go up and they say, hey, Jesus, we need you to do something for us. And so it's important to know, the reason I bring this up is that it is a lifelong journey learning from Jesus. You will never be, you might get a master's degree in theology, but you are not a master of theology you might get a phd in new testament but you are not a doctor of new testament we are constantly learning we will never reach a point where we can go beyond that is that we are always following after jesus otherwise we also see in luke chapter 9 that they're arguing among each other which one of them is the greatest and this is coming right when jesus is declaring himself as the one who's coming to save everybody and they're going yeah jesus is the greatest but who's second greatest is that they, they don't get it. And I think the reason I love the Gospels is it's, it's like me, right? It's like you. We, we just don't get it sometimes. And Jesus patiently points us back and says, no, it's the least in the kingdom who is the greatest. It's the one who isn't puffed up and proud of himself. It's the one who gives himself to me. And so they live and they travel and they work with Jesus for all of this time because Jesus was preparing them for a mission, the same mission that we have today, the same mission that we send you out with every week. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the mission that he's preparing them for. And they would go on to live this mission by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the world would never be the same again. It's the reason we're here today. And I think sometimes we we lose sight of that. Jesus preparing these 12 is the reason that all of us are here worshiping Jesus and why we want to plant churches and see more people worship Jesus. They submitted themselves to Jesus, the teacher, and they were discipled by him and they learned from him. So how do we apply this into our own life? See, the call was given to these fishing disciples is the same call that we receive today when we repent and trust in Jesus. Jesus is calling us to follow him. And it means that we should be dedicating our lives to learning and following Jesus. Studying his word, seeking him in prayer, unpacking his life, dedicating our whole life to this reality because there's this tendency that we can fall into is either we make Jesus out to be always gentle, always meek, always warmly smiling at people, or there's the other side of people who are angry. And so they make Jesus... He's always righteously indignant. He's always flipping tables. He's always calling people out and judging people. And the issues with both sides is is that neither of them actually are following Jesus. They have lost sight of what the Bible actually teaches because they haven't taken the time to learn from him and to follow him. Is that they might have read the Bible, but they don't actually understand the Bible. They have knowingly or unknowingly made a version of Jesus that looks a lot more like themselves than the Jesus of the Bible. And I've, I've talked with friends over the years who we'd have these conversations, and they go, I just don't think that Jesus would do that, or I just don't think Jesus would believe that. And then when you go, hey, man, what, where's the verse? Well, I just don't think he would. And I, I don't want us to be like that. We need to know who Jesus is. We need to know who he is. So if we don't have a verse for it, it's, it's really a tough case to make that we would say one way or another about what he would do. See, as we unpack the Bible, we'll realize that it's the same Jesus who was with the woman at the well, who nobody wanted anything to do with, who was extending grace to her, and it's the same Jesus who turned over the tables in the temple and said, get out of here. See, I'll never forget the first time that I was reading through the New Testament from beginning to end, and it was eye-opening. See, I spent a lot of the early years of my faith in youth group, and you'd read a devotional, and you'd get a young men's devotional, and you'd get all these cool things, and it'd be like, here's how Jesus is a hero, and here's this, and, and I'd walk away with, yeah, I knew roughly who Jesus was, but when I went through beginning to end, I started to see that I only knew part of Jesus. I only knew a bunch of different parts that got put into a blender, and I didn't really know the power of the Savior that I dedicated my life to, and so as I go from topic to topic, and then to going to starting to read it in its full context, it was like a veil was lifted from my eyes, I saw compassion like I never saw before, and I saw authority like I never saw before. I saw power like I'd never seen before, and I'd seen gentleness and patience like I'd never seen before. Jesus is unlike any person that we can create in our mind. Jesus is unique. He is God, and he is unlike anyone else. And we won't know that unless we read the Bible. We won't know how great Jesus is unless we spend the time, so I encourage you. Here's your application point. Read the Gospels between now and in the new year. All four of them. See how much more that you would know Jesus and learn from Jesus. And if your thoughts are quickly moved to, well, I've read them in class and I've already done this, I'd, I'd encourage you, the word is an everlasting fountain and, and resist the temptation of pride. Resist the temptation of, well, I already know who Jesus is because we don't. We don't know him like we should know him. We don't love him like we should know him. I think of Billy Graham, who is one of the greatest evangelists of all time and One of the things that people don't talk about is how much he read the Gospels. He would read through every Gospel every month, four Gospels every month. So he'd read through them 12 times a year, times that by 50 years. It's a lot of times. And there's so many preachers and pastors and people in ministry who would long to be like Billy Graham. Oh, if I could just have a ministry like Billy Graham and reach millions of people like he did. But they missed the point that the whole point, the only reason Billy's preaching had power was because he knew Jesus And so when you go out and make disciples, if you don't know who Jesus is, you're not actually going to make disciples. You've missed the teaching. And so don't fall into the comparison of others of, oh, I'm farther along than this person, but seek to know and follow Jesus. So the third thing we see in the text is that Jesus is the equipper. Jesus does not simply say, follow me, in verse 17. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He tells them, I'm going to make you into something. I'm going to make you into fishers of men, which is a compelling call. It was compelling enough for them to leave their careers and their families behind. And I've wondered many times what it would have been to cause them to leave it all behind. And I know the quick theological answer is, Jesus is God, he's God in the flesh, and he's drawing them. I get that. But however you can't help but think about the weight of the decision. You can't help but think to yourselves when you put, your sh- you put yourself in the shoes of these men. Most likely, this is all they've ever known, is that they are fishermen. That is their identity. I wake up in the morning, and I go fish, and I cast my nets, and I do that six days a week, and this is what I've done, and my dad is a fisherman, and odds are grandpa was a fisherman. This is the way that it was done. The family business, this is what's passed on from generation to generation. So this would be a life-altering transition. Peter, Andrew, James, and John would no longer be fishermen but would be fishers of men. The family line here is changing. It's no longer, oh, my dad Peter, he's a fisher It's like, no, my dad Peter, he's a, he fishes for men. And I will grow up and I will fish for men as well. See, I think sometimes we can overlook this idea because we just see it in this, this peak moment. But this is where it changes everything. And the same thing for us is that when we encounter Jesus, our family line changes forever. There comes this moment where it's no longer that I'm a... My dad was a firefighter, so I'm going to be a firefighter, so I'm going to do this. No, it's Jesus has changed my life, and therefore I will fish for men. And so he, as he goes through, he, he uh, becomes this story of my dad fishes for men, and now I will fish for men. But Jesus did not just say, follow me from a distance, watch for me, take notes, because there's going to be a day when... When I leave. He actually gives them opportunities to go out and fail so he can teach them from these opportunities. I remember as I've worked on projects through the houses, if you have young children and you do projects, you can either do it in like 20 minutes or like two hours if you have kids. But in those two hours, you get to teach your kids what you actually do. You get to teach them how to use the tools and how to actually work. And through this apprenticeship, which is discipleship, they begin to learn what it really means to be a fisher of men. They begin to closely look to, um, they'd probably become close to master fishermen at this point, and they knew good spots to fish. They knew, depending on the weather or the season, where they could go. uh, They knew when the fish weren't biting in this one spot, they could probably try to go across the sea to another spot, and this had been their whole life. And so, depending on that, which fish to keep and which fish to throw away, and being fishers of men was a whole different pursuit. They had to rework their whole life. It had an internal impact beyond the noble task of catching and selling food for people to live. They were going to go declare the gospel and see men and women changed by its power. And these men who repent and trust in Jesus, they would teach them just like Jesus taught them. And Jesus starts this repeating cycle for really the end of time until he returns that has brought us to where we are today, and the amazing thing to link back to, it was these faithful disciples who came out. And so, really to look at this, how do we apply uh, Jesus being our equipper is the Christian life is a life of following Jesus. Being a faithful disciple who makes disciples of Jesus Christ, and it really brings us to the point I was trying to make earlier, is you can read a book about discipleship, but if you just stop there, you just know how to make disciples. You've never actually done it. We have to apply our faith and share the good news of Jesus and make these disciples. And that's why we encourage community and discipleship groups because it helps us point to Jesus and to help us live how Jesus called us to live. And a really a simple way to answer the question is is if if you are being actively discipled or discipling others is by asking this question, who is responsible for me and who am I responsible for? If the answer to that question is, well, I'm responsible for myself and I don't really need people to look after me. Well, I would warn you, you do, is that every elder here at the church, we have somebody discipling us because we haven't figured it out yet. We all need somebody pouring into us as we pour into others. Or maybe you're in a different spot where you you can't even imagine discipling somebody. You can't even imagine being not only somebody being responsible for you, but you discipling somebody. I encourage you. Rejoice in the work that God has done and share that with other people. Is that it can be really easy to, to buy the t-shirt, to go to the conference on discipleship, but it's a really tough journey to become a fisher of men. It's filled with tremendous joys and tremendous pain, and there's seasons where you're going to wonder, am I, making any disi- am I making any difference with this discipleship relationship? Am I actually impacting people's lives? Why am I not progressing as fast as I want? And you're going to start to think, maybe this group is a, is a waste of time. I'm not very close to them. They don't have the same interests as me. Uh, If we weren't in the same church, we'd never hang out. But the best part of discipleship is that it's a long road. In the last 10 years, I've had so many faithful old pastors who have helped me and continue to help me through my angsty, youthful pastor stages where I'm just like, don't know what to do, and they can just be patient and be like, dude, just calm down. (laughs) And I've been in discipleship groups with people who didn't have anything in common with me and a year later, I find myself shedding tears because they might be leaving or they're going through all these trials. It's, dis- discipleship has grown me in my faith by receiving and providing instruction. These disciples were not best buddies. Jesus didn't go and say, oh, you guys all went to the same school, you guys all went to the same college. These are guys from all these different backgrounds and it was in those three years together that the brotherhood was formed. They were so committed to Jesus and one another that they pursued the mission and until they died. And so you might be wondering, and the question is, do I quit my job? Do I, do I give everything up? Do I change my major? Do I go become a missionary so I can be fishers of men? And for some of you, maybe. But for most of you, probably not. Is that you can be a faithful fisher of men and women as a nurse, as a lawyer, as an electrician. And you can be called to be faithful in those seasons, to make fishers, to be a disciple maker in those spots. And so to close, if, if you're following just jesus you you truly need to understand that he's all you need for all you face and this means that you have to follow him as the king follow him as the teacher and the equipper it's important to remember that it will be a life filled with repentance it's not a certain stage that you meet and then you you never go back it's that everything in this life is soon going to fade away but the eternal work of disciple making and evangelism will live beyond our short life here and so if you're already a follower of Jesus, give your life to serve him by making disciples. And lastly, I'll just say this, if you're here today, and, and a lot of this doesn't make sense because you've never trusted and repented of your sins, we'd love to talk to you about that today. Today can be the day that you trust in Jesus, because we have all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory, and it's only through Jesus Christ that we'll be saved. And so I'll be up here in the front, and Pastor Chris will be as well, if, during those songs, if you want to come up and receive prayer and and talk about what it means to follow Jesus, and we would love to talk to you about that. Let's pray.